Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want to kick off this series in one of my favorite passages uh, in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 2. Paul the Apostle, Apostle just means sent one. He was sent by Jesus for a specific function. The function of apostles was to start new works of God in new areas or new places. And so Paul is the sent one on behalf of Jesus to tell people in different areas about what Jesus has accomplished. And in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5, we read, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Verse 7, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to gather together to set our eyes on Jesus and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and understanding to our hearts that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of You that we would become more aware of your purpose and what you have done for us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to make much of Jesus today. Do what only you can do in lives today. We'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this is an interesting letter because Paul writes a church that he has never visited. They have never seen Paul the Apostle face to face. Paul has never seen the believers there in this community face to face. The church was planted, so to speak, by a man named Epaphras. Now, Epaphras had been discipled by Paul during Paul's time in Ephesus. Paul spent around two years in Ephesus where he ministered daily in what was called the school of Tyrannus. This man, Epaphras, is so touched, he received so well from the teaching and the ministry of the Apostle Paul as he ministered daily in this school called the School of Tyrannus that he goes back to his hometown with the good news of the gospel. See, that's how you know you're starting to really understand the gospel is that you get clear that it's good news. And when you got good news, you want to tell about good news. So he goes back and God begins to work in the lives of people and this church is birthed. Paul then hears back from Epaphras. He's overjoyed. Paul is thankful unto God that these people in Colossae have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And in our passage, he writes back to this church, this church that he's never visited, and he reminds them, he says, though, hey, I'm not with you face to face. Now, of course, there was no FaceTime. There was no instant messaging. There there was no technology where they could even see his face. But he writes to them and say, look, I'm not with you. You can't even see my face right now. But I'm with you in spirit. 
That we're united in Christ Jesus. We're united as a part of the universal body of Jesus Christ. But he says, look, I'm with you in spirit. I'm for you. I care about what's happening. And one day I look forward to seeing you. And he says, when I think about seeing you, I look forward on that day of seeing the order and the steadfastness of your faith in Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that he is very clear and certain that their faith in Jesus Christ was not the end, it was just the beginning. That coming to faith in Jesus Christ was not the end of their personal story and journey, it was just the beginning of their story following Jesus. Paul says, in essence, there's a chapter 2. You know, it's interesting because chapter 2 doesn't come before chapter 1. Chapter 14 in a book doesn't come before chapter 3. There is an order to the chapters. And Paul says, listen, I'm confident that this faith I'm hearing about you have, that it's going to progress that you understand that confessing Jesus as Lord of your life was not the end, it's just the beginning. That the start of the relationship with Jesus, listen, was a great decision. But my title today of the message is More Decisions. More Decisions. That confessing Jesus as Lord is a great decision, but what comes after that decision? Listen, more decisions. And Paul has this expectation that they will have more decisions and their more decisions will lead to Paul being able to see the effects of that very important first decision of making Jesus Lord and leader of their life. Here's a point for us today. An inner proclamation of faith saying I have an inward faith, yeah, I believe in my heart, that does not progress to having an outward display of that proclaimed faith is not biblical faith. Listen, all profession of an inward faith will lead to an outward display of that professed faith. This is what Paul is confident of. He said, you claim faith in Jesus. I'm confident that when I come to see you, I'm going to see the order and the steadfastness of that faith that you have proclaimed. I am going to be able to look at your life and see a visible display of what it is I've heard you have inward, this faith in Jesus. Now, he calls this outward display of the progress of their faith in the text. He calls it two things steadfastness, everybody say steadfastness, and their good order, say good order. Now, it's interesting because in the original language that Paul wrote in, Greek, it's not actually good order, it's just order there. It's just order. And the word order means an arrangement or a fixed succession. 
a right order. What Paul says is there is an arranged order in Christ for what happens after we begin following Jesus Christ. There's an arranged order. That like after chapter 1, God has arranged for chapter 2 to happen. That like after chapter 2 in a book, how many readers we have here? Well, we got some possible leaders then. <laughs> that after chapter 2 in a book comes chapter 3. Chapter 3. See, listen, the building of a home has arranged phases as it progresses towards completion. Farming has arranged seasons before the final harvest. Physical development has arranged stages as one moves towards physical maturity. I like what Dr. Henry Cloud and uh, Dr. John Townsend said, who's given their life to the process of how God transforms and grows people. He says, life works when we are being completed, but completion cannot take place without building on the foundation things. First, there are foundation principles without which nothing else works. If we do not live according to the foundations of the faith, we will have nothing secure to build upon. If we do not order our growth, notice that, and the growth of the ones we minister to according to these foundation things, we are building on quicksand. Second, the foundational things are not all there is to growth. There is a process that takes us from the foundation to maturity or completeness. Notice that. It's built upon foundational things, but there's also an order and a process for us to move forward in following Jesus. Following Jesus. Now, Paul in our passage in Colossians 2, he uses two analogies. He uses two examples regarding his expectation for the progression of their inner faith becoming outwardly more visible. What are they? The first we see is physical development. It's physical development. The second is agricultural. Now, these are the metaphors, the examples he uses in writing to the church there in Colossae. But Paul in his other letters uses all kinds of phrases, all kinds of other ways to describe this process of what happens after salvation as our inward faith in Jesus becomes outwardly more visible. For instance, in Galatians 3.3, he says we're now being made mature. In Galatians 4.19, he says Christ is now being formed in you. In Ephesians 1, he says that we are now receiving the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him having the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. In Ephesians 4.1, he says we're to walk worthy of our calling. In Ephesians 4 and 14, he says we're to no longer be babes, but to grow up in all things into Christ. Philippians 1 and 9, he says that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. In Philippians 1.27, he says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Philippians 2.16, he says, holding fast the word of life. In Philippians 4.1, he says, stand fast in the Lord. 
Colossians 1.9, he says, to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord. He says in Colossians 2.19 to hold fast to the head who is Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12 he says that you may walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3.2 he says be established and encouraged concerning your faith. A lot of ways to describe this arranged order that God has for those who confess Jesus as Lord to grow in expressing outwardly more visible this faith they have in the unseen King, Jesus Christ, though one day He's coming and will be seen by every eye and He will set up physically His kingdom that will rule over every nation. Hallelujah. So Paul gives us two examples, and today as we look at these two examples, they lead us to two practices. Two examples and two practices. Let's look at the first of these examples in our passage, the example of physical development. Physical development. In Colossians 2.5 in our text that we read, he says, For though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your arranged order, your good order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Listen, this is the arranged order of God, our Heavenly Father. This is the order of our faith in Christ. That as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, chapter 1, so that you walk in Him. Roman numeral 1, this phrase, so walk in Him. He gives this example of physical development. How do we know that? Because Paul writes in other places that every new follower of Jesus Christ is spiritually speaking a new baby. They're a new baby. That when someone confesses Jesus as Lord spiritually, they're a new baby. Now this gives some insight on why you and I have difficulty. Because some of us come to faith in Jesus Christ at 37 years old, at 16 years old, at 71 years old. And now that we've come to faith in Christ, we're spiritually speaking before God a baby. And then we have people who are also followers of Jesus who come and say, Hey, we're so excited for you. You're now a baby. And they look back at us like, Don't call me a baby. What are you talking about a baby? Do you not know that I have a successful business? Do you not know that I've been walking on my natural legs for many years? Do you not know that I'm a father, that that I've raised kids? Do you not know? I'm not a baby. Now you see the difficulty that you and I have because spiritually we're a baby. But we have all these memories and all these other things we can look to that seemingly suggest that we're not a baby. That we're not a baby. Now when you think about our wonderful babies right now in DP Kids, I think I'm scheduled to be back there next week. Serve. But when you think about these 
babies and DP kids. Listen, healthy babies have ankles. They have feet. They have legs. They have hips. They have fibia and tibia. Watch this. Yet they do not walk. Oh, wait, wait a minute. By God's grace and goodness, I think all of us today was able to physically walk in here. But the babies in DP Kids ha- have the same ankles like you have ankles. They have legs like you have legs, and yet they're not walking. Why are the babies, though they have the potential to walk, why aren't they walking right now? Are you ready for it? Awareness. Awareness. Babies, though they have the resources needed to walk, they're not aware yet of those resources And when you're not aware of a resource, you can't learn to depend upon them or utilize them. So Paul gives this example of physical development, physical walking. He says, listen, you're a babe in Christ, but chapter 2 is going to be about you learning to become more aware. To become more aware to now spiritually what you have more aware of this new life and the possibilities and the potentials of what you have. Now, I know that you think you're aware of how life works. I know that you have a lot of experience on what the world says and what success supposedly looks like, but I'm telling you that actually you're spiritually a babe in understanding how the world really is supposed to work. How life really is designed by the designer, our creator. So, this first analogy and example of physical development, it leads us to this practice that's on the card, letter A, abounding awareness. That's the practice. Look at this, Colossians 2.6 says, You have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Verse 7, rooted, built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Walk in Him as you have been taught, abounding in it. He says, listen, you have to have an abounding awareness to be able to walk in Him. And he tells us one of the things God has designed to facilitate and serve us where we abound in awareness that we're a part of a new kingdom. And this new kingdom operates on different laws and different principles and different ways than our life and the world works. He tells us that a key to have abounding awareness of now how life has been designed by God, who's now your heavenly Father for you, a key is as you have been taught. He says teaching must happen. 
There must be the practice of teaching. But what kind of teaching? The Greek word is didasko. It means instructional teaching. Listen, Paul the Apostle believed in teaching new believers about this new relationship with a new Lord that they cannot physically see or physically touch or physically follow. Paul believed that new believers, these babes in Christ, needed to be taught. That they needed to be taught what now their heavenly Father has provided for them. That these provisions have been made, made available for them, but though they can't naturally see them or naturally touch them, they must be taught about them. That teaching must pl- take place of what this new life of following Jesus looks like. See, listen, Paul believed in teaching the knowledge of God's will and truth to new believers. Teaching is necessary. Being a child of God is not enough for you to learn to walk in Jesus, to walk in His ways, to walk in victory, to walk in His kingdom experience, which is practicing the expression of righteousness, a right relationship with the Father and right relationship with others and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul said it's necessary for teaching to take place in order to walk in Him. Why? Because if you're not taught, you won't be able to abound in awareness of what you now have. What you now have. But how do we teach? Well, Paul the Apostle, who says teaching is necessary, says there's a pattern of truth. There's a pattern. Which makes sense when he tells the Colossians, I'm confident that you will follow this good order. You'll follow this arranged order that God has for you now that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul writes what's called a pastoral epistle. He writes a letter to one of his spiritual sons who's pastoring in in a large, growing, influential church in Ephesus. And he tells him in 2 Timothy 1.13, he says, Timothy, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. There's a pattern to the teaching that's important for us to be able to abound in awareness. Becoming more aware of who is our king. See, there's more to know about Jesus than you and I know at this point. There's more of knowing Jesus than just knowing Him as Savior and the ability to forgive us of our sins. He's also our sustainer. He's also our provider. He's also our healer. He's also our shepherd. He's also our deliverer. He's also the one in the midst of the fire with us. There is so much more to know of Him. And abounding awareness is necessary, but teaching must take place, and there's a pattern to the teaching. That's why in Divine Design for Discipleship, we talk about that one of God's primary methods early on to help His children grow is the ministry of the Word. Do you know why? Because babies don't know what to eat and babies can't feed themselves. Now you see the tension you and I face in this new relationship with the Lord. Because then we have people who care about us who come to tell us, hey, you're a babe in Christ. And we're like, dude, you know who you're talking to? Bro, I'm older than you. I've done more than you. And then we say, oh yeah, but you're a baby in Christ. And by the way, 
You don't even know what to eat. And you can't feed yourself. And you need others to help serve you as instruments of Christ's body. Whoo, that's tension. It was tension for me. That's why the Lord just said, okay, you want to learn the hard way, buddy? And I learned a lot of things the hard way as a follower of Jesus. But listen, Paul also understood that this teaching must move beyond just instructional teaching. This is why Jesus in Matthew 28, 18, and 20, when he talked about discipleship, he said, teaching them to observe. There has to be teaching that allows you to start abounding in an awareness of what has happened to you, of what Jesus has done for you, of what Jesus wants to do through you, of all that the Father has provided for you through the finished work of Jesus, that you have this abounding awareness that though you can't see Him, He's with you, that 2 Corinthians 6 is real, that God dwells in us and He walks among us as His people and as His dwelling place and as His temple. But Paul says the teaching also must move beyond just the pattern of truth to the pattern of modeling that it takes a community modeling and living out the reality of truth. That there must be a modeling of truth where you and I can observe the truth that we've heard, what it actually looks like, what it practically means. This is why he reminded the Thessalonians how they became, watch this, this upsets a lot of us, but he t- Paul tells the church in Thessalonians, Thessalonica, how they became followers of Paul and his ministry team and the Lord Jesus. Why didn't he say, oh, you just follow Jesus? Because listen, they need a modeling community to observe because we can't, they couldn't see Jesus physically. They couldn't follow Jesus' footsteps physically. So they needed a community and Jesus is so big and so great, not one of us can model all that he wants to do. So it takes a community to model it. He says, you became followers of us and of the Lord. There's a pattern of modeling. He reminds the Philippians that he and his ministry team provided an example and a pattern of how to walk, of what this faith of following Jesus actually looks like and leads to. In Philippians 3, 17, he says, brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk. Watch this. As you have us as a pattern. He goes on in verse 18 and says, For many walk, and I tell you, they're enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross. They talk Jesus, they talk, but they're an enemy of the cross. Cross. He told the Corinthians, he said, Imitate me according to how I imitate Christ. Now there's a lot of things we don't want to imitate about each other. Those are the areas we're still asking Jesus to grow us in. But the areas that we have learned to let Christ empower and live through us, we want to tell others, model, imitate Christ. So Paul tells us here 
that this pattern of truth, the pattern of modeling, that teaching is used to help newborn believers, new followers of Jesus, to start abounding in awareness of who Jesus is. To start abounding in awareness of His kingdom and the ways of His kingdom. Now just if you're not familiar with Scripture, uh, the prophet Isaiah reminded us, he said, listen, God's ways and God's kingdom is not what feels natural for us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So it takes this abounding awareness to understand how His kingdom works. Jesus says, you want to be the greatest? Then don't climb the ladder. He says, get down and serve people and empower them to move forward in God's purpose for them. It's like upside down. He said, you you want to receive more? Then He says, give more. It's so contrary to what feels natural to us as humans. But this teaching helps us begin to abound in awareness of what this life of faith in Jesus looks like as we follow Him. How do we abound in awareness? By being taught. Taught a pattern of truth and taught a pattern of modeling. So he says, listen, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now Paul sets a foundational guideline here for all of us regarding how to grow from being a babe in Christ who has the potential to walk to then actually experiencing the reality of what walking in Jesus means, feels, looks like, and the experience of it. What is the foundational guideline? He says, A, all of you have received Christ. We all have a commonality. He says, A, every believer, regardless of the way you came to faith in Jesus, through it was parents or preaching or a friend or reading scripture, however you came, we all have a commonality. That is our faith in Christ. Now, if I ask each of you who are followers of Jesus and have made Him and confessed Him Lord of your life, we would all describe that differently. Why? Because we have different personalities. We have unique ways of expressing, though we have the common experience, we have unique ways of expressing it differently. We'd use different vocabulary. But the fact that we receive Christ is the same. How do we receive Christ? Repentance... Faith and confession. What is that? Listen, repentance is the change of mind and the change in the preference of our will. To no longer want to do life our way, to no longer want to be our own king and our own God, but now we have a change of mind of understanding that we, through our own works, could never earn forgiveness for the wrong we've done. We could never work our way to a relationship with our Creator. It's a change of mind and the preference of our will to no longer live for our will, but we want to experience and live for the will of the one who created us according to the design of the designer for us. Then faith. What is faith? Then we had relational trust and confidence in God and His testimony concerning Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ and what God said about Him is true. And He verified it's true by allowing Jesus to die and three days later resurrecting him from the dead so that he could be like, gotcha, told you I was telling the truth. We call him when we talk to youth, here's your receipt. It's signed and sealed and assured. And then confession. We then declare that Jesus is our Lord, that he saved us from our sins in our past. So Paul says, listen, we all have that experience And it gives us a common understanding of how we move forward in chapter 2 and move forward in following Jesus. As you receive Christ, 
so walk in Him. Meaning, as you allow other brothers and sisters, those that God has sent to, to serve you, to teach you what this life of faith and what you have in Christ, as you are taught, you start changing your mind more and more about who God is. Uh, about who you are. You start changing your mind about what's right and what following Jesus looks like. You begin to change the intent of your will more and more saying, oh, that's what God has. I want that. So as you're taught, you start changing your mind of who you are in Jesus, what you have been provided in Jesus, what you have been promised in Jesus. And as you're taught... Your confidence that you actually can trust and depend on your Heavenly Father, His Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, that you can actually trust Him for every circumstance, for every need, for every issue of your life. That's faith. And then you start confessing and sharing more and more your experience of following Jesus that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Anybody tasted and seen in some chapter 2's and 3's that the Lord is good? Praise His name. See, listen, this is walking in Him. But listen, it starts with an abounding awareness and the process God has designed that includes being taught. That's why we do growth phases every Thursday. It's the context to teach you the pattern of truth to begin to abound in awareness of all of the promises of God and the provisions of God for you to fulfill His design and purpose for you that are yes and amen in Jesus. It's the way to start abounding in awareness that you're a part of a kingdom that's unseen, but it's more real than what's seen because it's eternal and lasting, but what's seen is temporary and passing away. The, the things of the natural are passing away, but the eternal kingdom shall stand forever. So the question I want to ask you for this is how are you positioning yourself to abound in awareness by allowing others to teach you. Others that have learned to be able to perceive and see the reality of Jesus by faith and experience His kingdom by faith. That's why Hebrews, when he talks about mature people in a community... He says, whose faith follow? It's a visible faith that you can look at of those that have matured and are in further chapters of this order of growing up into the full salvation God has for us. How are you engaging a community, this community, or a community of believers to observe what following Christ looks like? So the first is physical development. The habit is becoming abounding in awareness through the practice of being taught. Secondly, the second example is agricultural, which leads us to Roman numeral 2. He says, built up and established in the faith. 
Look at this again, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Rooted and built up. It's an agricultural metaphor. See, when a sapling is rooted, it has access to the sufficient delivery system that God has designed for it to grow. But the sapling must continue to draw and yield to the life it now has access to in order to become built up and established as a tree. Listen, it also has to overcome some dirt. It also has to overcome some rocks and rocky places. It also, listen, has to overcome some hot days and some cold nights in order to continue to grow. The sapling must also make it through some seasons without being uprooted, make it through some circumstances without choosing to no longer yield to this new life source the sapling has. It's the same for us followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, there is still some dirt. There's still some residue of your old life, your old thinking, your old affections, your old experiences, your old desires and ways of living left in your soul, mind, will, and emotions. And that dirt and residue is contrary to this new life and way of what following Jesus looks like. See, there's still some hardened places from hurts of our past. Listen, there's going to be some cold moments and chances to get offended. That's all we talk about when we get offended. Our heart begins to be cold. Listen, there's going to be some heat and some fiery trials that come to test your faith. But did you know a sapling can go through many seasons and still not grow? You know why? It stops drawing from and yielding to the life it's rooted in. It allows the circumstances, the heat on the outside, the cold on the outside, to overcome it and distract it from yielding to the life source it's been rooted in. And listen, it's the same for you and I. Did you know you can have many years of being a believer, of following Jesus, and go through many things and still not grow? You can have a lot of years but still be at the beginning of a chapter 2 of learning to walk in Him, of learning to be built up in Him and established in the faith. Why? Because you and I stop drawing and yielding to the life that we're rooted in. And this is why Paul gives us our second practice to help us to keep drawing from the life we're rooted in. Watch this. And it helps as a catalyst to keep abounding in awareness of who Jesus is, what God the Father has promised, of the kingdom we now are in and the promises that are yes and amen. Because listen, it's very easy in this moment while we're chillaxing in the presence of God, just resting, receiving, 
it's very easy in this moment to start abounding in awareness of who Jesus is to you, of who you are in Jesus, of the kingdom you're a part of, and the promises that are yes and amen. But listen, it's a whole lot difficult when you go out there and you're looking at and hearing and seeing a world that is completely contrary to the kingdom that you're a part of, to the Jesus that you're following, to the ways of God for your life, it's a lot harder then. So Paul gives us this second practice that is a catalyst to help us stay abounding in awareness that though I walk through the fire, I got an abounding awareness that there's a fourth man, Jesus, with me, that I'm not alone, that though things are difficult and I'm not seeing my circumstances change on the outside, I know the one that's greater than every circumstance is still on the inside of me and walking with me, that though the world may get darker and darker and begin to get more lawless and lawless, I know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world that we have an abounding awareness not in the good times and the high times and the great times of life though we need it there but also in the mundane times and the difficult times and I found that like what Pastor Craig said is so true and I'll get there at the end even more that we have to have an abounding awareness at every moment in every day in every season in every circumstance of who Christ is to us who we are in him that he's with us in us his resources are available so the just and the followers of Jesus can walk by faith and not by sight or feeling. That's what maturing looks like. It's not as believers we go through less things than an unbeliever. I know people in this congregation that's facing cancer. I know people in this congregation that's facing marital problems. I know people in this congregation that's facing hurts and residue from their past of of people that have harmed them and wronged them. And unbelievers face that too. The difference is, is as we're taught what this life in Jesus looks like, we're able to abound in awareness that though we walk through the same floods and the same fires, we're not alone. That there's a greater one and the same power that he demonstrated when he overcame death is available to cause us, even in the midst of hardships, to feel triumphant and to feel joyful and to feel at peace, to feel and experience his kingdom. So you know what this practice is? Abounding thanksgiving. Look at it, Colossians 2 and 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, there's the one, practice, and then abounding in it with thanksgiving. Whoa. Abounding with thanksgiving is a catalyst to growing in Christ, to progressing towards God's purpose for my life and for your life, for our life in His kingdom, A practice is abounding in thanksgiving. Why? Listen. Abounding with thanksgiving keeps the life of Jesus we're rooted in stirred up. The Bible's so clear, so clear. You can't get around it. You have to accept it at some point if you want to walk in God's ways. From start to finish, so clear that our tongue and our mouth is linked to our heart. And our heart is linked to our mouth. 
And he gives us this catalyst of abounding thanksgiving because he says if you'll abound in thanksgiving, it'll keep allowing the life that might be way down on the inside of you and you're not seeing all of it show up on the outside of you, like you're not seeing complete victory and, and living the way that you know God's called for you and you're not seeing the calling and you're not walking worthy of all that he has for you and you've not experienced every promise and that life feels so far and so distant and so deep down in you, that well of salvation. But he says when you abound in thanksgiving, that well just spring up. It keeps the life of Jesus stirred up in you. I grew up singing that old song in VBS and summer camps in the mainline denomination, spring up, O well. Well, you know how you get the, the well to spring up? You abound with thanksgiving. You abound with thanksgiving. See, the heart transplant Jesus gives us when we make Him Lord, it leads to a tongue transition. It leads to a tongue transition. I remember hearing the story of Colonel Sanders. I'm from the state of Kentucky. A lot of people claim the salvation of Colonel Sanders, but Michelle and I was on staff at a church where Colonel Sanders attended and, and gave financially. I remember hearing the story how the Lord finally took that. He called it my cusser. He finally took that cusser out of him. That God's grace and work in his heart affected his tongue. It transitioned. Which makes a lot of sense because, you know, he wasn't like 30 when he came up with that special recipe. He was old in life. He was old. But a heart transplant leads to a tongue transition. And listen, when we start abounding in thanksgiving, it's amazing, regardless of our age, regardless of our past, what God can begin to do in our life. See, our past affects our understanding and our outlook and our attitudes in life. So we can have the life of Jesus inside of us, but because of our past, it affects our perception and our attitudes. And though we're children of God, followers of Jesus, we can sound like and look like unbelievers because we're allowing our past to dictate our attitude instead of growing and abounding in awareness that calls us to abound in thanksgiving of all that God has done for us, will do for us, has promised us, that is yes and amen in Jesus. That we all have to move from grumbling and complaining and arguing to learning to abound with thanksgiving. See, grumbling and complaining and whining, listen, it only reinforces the residue of our old life. It only reinforces the attitudes and the perceptions and the feelings we had before we followed Jesus in our soul. And instead of us moving towards being established in the faith and displaying outwardly what a maturing life of following Jesus looks like, the negative characteristics of the old creation and the old person we used to be and the sinful creation stays built up and displayed in our life. But listen, as followers of Jesus, we have different eyes. We have different ears. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit, He speaks to those that have ears to hear. And he wasn't talking just about natural ears. And He 
said the Holy Spirit works for those who have eyes to see. And he wasn't just talking about natural eyes. See, we as believers, we have a different set of eyes and a different set of ears that when the world says the sky's falling in doom and gloom, we have different ears that says, oh, but there is a cloud and an abundance of rain on the horizon. We hear things that what God is wanting to do, what God is saying, we see what God is wanting to do, and we sound crazy to those around us because they don't have the same set of eyes and ears we do. That's why in the New Testament it calls us a peculiar people. Peculiar. But we're not to be peculiar to each other. We're to be peculiar to the world. So learning to abound in thanksgiving. Listen, you know why he says that? Because dealing with some of those cold nights some of those hot seasons, some of those difficult trials, some of those heart-gut-wrenching circumstances of life, dealing with a world that's so negative and can only see the negative of the world around us. Listen, it is so important for us to abound in thanksgiving, to not allow that stuff to get in our boat, to get in our heart, to blind and rob us from being able to abound in awareness that we are of a different kingdom. We have access to different resources. That we are following one that we can't see with our natural eye, but who is more real than what we see. James 3 and 3, as the band comes, he talks about the power of the tongue. James 3.3, he says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths. I'm from the state of Kentucky. If you know anything about that, a big horse race yesterday, a lot, a lot of controversy. (laughs) First time ever. The winner got disqualified. Second place became first place. That's why I don't bet. (laughs) But they put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships... Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot desires. Watch this, verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. I want to tell you, That both God and the devil are after a very special place. Of each of us. It's this hollow place right here. Listen to me. Lucifer, Satan, physically saw all of God's manifestation. Listen to me. Lucifer saw God's kingdom in heaven and his throne and angels worshiping. He saw all the beauty and splendor of God as creator. And yet, seeing all of that, 
he began to complain and grumble against God. Got exalted in his heart and said, you know what? I will overthrow God. I will do my own thing. Listen, why is the mouth so important for you and I? Because there's nothing more like being like Lucifer than seeing all the goodness of God and still complaining and murmuring and not being grateful and thankful. So you know what God says? He says, I'm going to take some dust and I'm going to take some clay and I'm going to form it into an earthly tin and an earthly vessel and I'm going to then breathe my spirit into it and they're going to become a living nephesh, a living soul, a living human. And then I'm going to take those humans and I'm going to get them in their mouth abounding in thanksgiving because we haven't seen the kingdom visibly. We've not seen all of the goodness of God and His power and His glory. What we've seen is a world that's affected by sin and Satan and selfishness and hatred and cruelness and we can look anywhere in the world and find the difficulties and the negativity of life. But God says, oh my people's going to live by a different kingdom, a different way, a way of faith. They're going to be a people that can see it all and yet it still don't affect their mouth. Even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of heartache, even in the midst of so much wrong on the world, they're still going to have an abounding thanksgiving in their mouth. They're right in the midst of darkness, right in the midst of sorrow, going to be a light that shines forth to the world around them, of a world they can't see, of a God that's so great that they need, of a Savior that's so compassionate that they long for. He said, I'm going to have a people that's going to bless God right in the middle of everything that looks like God doesn't care. I'm going to have a people that's abounding in thanksgiving. Going to abound. They're going to abound. They're, they're not going to allow what's going on around them and what they're going through to stop them to be able to see by faith the goodness that they got a heart that beats, that they got lungs that breathe, that they got ankles that has strength that can support their body, that they got a mouth that can talk, that they got a foot that can drive, that they got gas in the gas tank, that they even have a car to drive, that they got a job that gives them money, that they can actually buy food, that they cannot just buy food, they got about 400 aisles of food to choose from. That they got friends that care for them. Pastors that pray for them. They got angels assigned to guard them. I'm going to have a people that's going to look at every even small thing. Every even thing that others overlook that's going to praise me and thank me for it. They're going to say, I thank you I got fingers that move. I thank you I got both arms. I thank you I got a wife that stayed with me and loves me. I thank you God that I have children. I thank you in the midst of it I'm going to stand and abound in thanksgiving go ahead and give God praise in here go ahead and stand and begin to say God I will abound in thanksgiving thank you so much for listening to this week's message if you would like more information about our church be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org